So in this passage, we have Sarah laughing. And we see the, the why are you laughing question. Too often this passage, studying it, has stopped there. And I've heard this passage too often preached as simply an excuse to rebuke, to criticize Sarah. And I don't think that's fair. And since we're all wanting more scripture reading this morning, we all want more scripture, right? Two wasn't enough. Why stop at two when you can have three? We talk about the Trinity. It sounds nice. Anyway, all right. For our third scripture reading this morning, we're going to go back a little bit farther. To when God makes the promise of his son in Genesis chapter 17. Just a few verses here starting at verse 15. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be a mother of nations. Kings of people will come for her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? You see why I think it's not fair that just Sarah's criticized for laughing? Because when she first heard it, she laughed. But when Abraham first heard it, he literally rolled on the floor laughing. But Abraham didn't get criticized for that there, did he? Then we get to Genesis 18. And the Lord appeared as three men. The three men in this are commonly understood to be angels. But elsewhere in scripture, when speaking about angels, it's very clear. Here, it's not so clear. There's some debate, of course, why it's not so clear. And we get into the language, and honestly, the further we get into that, it just kind of muddies the water. But if you don't like the muddy water and the ambiguity of what, who are these people, what does that really mean, then just know that next week, it's not got to be clear either. So at least we're on theme. But that is a fair warning that we're going to have to live in some of that muddy water, some of that ambiguity with this story. But we do have that Abraham shows them wonderful hospitality. And if you picked up on it, he shows them wonderful hospitality by telling other people to do things that shows them wonderful hospitality like the servants and with Sarah. But Abraham still makes conversations and does what is expected to be a good host to any traveler. And then one of them says that Abraham and Sarah will have a child together by this time next year. Sarah is 90 years old. Let's take a moment. Picture, think, or think about some woman in your life right now who is 85 years old or older. Close your eyes if it helps you. Think about who that person is. We have somebody in mind. Imagine that she calls you up this afternoon and says, I need you to throw me a baby shower. I'm pregnant. What would your response be? Would you laugh? Would you think it was a prank call? Would you think it was a joke? Would you just hang up and say, not today, Mom? That was a joke. Yeah, that's okay. It's okay to laugh. We can laugh. Thank you. I should have like a little laugh button. Whenever I hit it, you get like a little static shock in your leg or something, and then Ben just laughs. Perfect. <laughs> we'll work on that. We'll see. All right, and the thing is with that, what our response would be is laughter can often fit across a wide variety of situations. Sometimes we laugh because something is funny. Maybe it's commonly funny. 
Maybe sometimes we laugh because it reminds us of something and it kind of tickles us in a way. Then everyone else goes, why are you laughing? He goes, oh, it reminded me of that one time years ago. Ah, just don't worry about it. You had to be there. Or perhaps we laugh out of shock or surprise. Have you ever been caught off guard and you didn't know how to respond verbally or emotionally and you just kind of find yourself laughing, not knowing what to do? You know, so two churches ago, we were in New, Sarah, we were in New Orleans. Was, was, well, at this time, Sophia was not born yet. Um, but we were in New Orleans. And it was our first time living somewhere that didn't freeze. And when you live somewhere where it doesn't ever really freeze, and especially if it's in the south and it's hot and it's humid, the bugs and insects are just unlike anything you've ever experienced before. If I say termites, who here knows what a termite is? Raise your hand if you've ever seen 10,000 termites fly at your house. Yeah, so in parts in the south and in New Orleans, they would be called swarming termites. And what happened is on certain nights, like in the summer, ter all these newly hatched termites, we're talking like in the millions, would then swarm out flying like a cloud like, what is that? And then it gets too close. You're like, oh, I'm in a horror movie. But they would swarm out in clouds to try to find places to then go down and then to make new nests so they could breed and make more termites. Now, locals to New Orleans would know about this. And they would know what a swarm night was. And they checked the woods. Oh, it's a swarm night tonight. We all know what that means. We weren't local. We didn't know what that meant. I didn't know that termites could fly. So on the first swarm night, we're in, our, we're in a house that we're renting down there. And it's right on the corner. There's a big street light in the corner of our yard. And we know that bugs like lights, right? All the other, I realized later, all the other houses had all their lights off in their whole house. Every light was off. We didn't know what was going on. Our front porch light was on. Our living room light was on. And then we had that big street light, of course, acting like a beacon. So clouds came. We're watching TV. It's like, I don't know, 8, 8.30 at night, something like that. And it was kind of hearing kind of, that kind of buzzing, flapping sound. I kind of look over, and, and our rug is moving. And this was an old house, so, I mean, there were cracks for days, right? Like you could, you could, or you could, you could deliver a pizza through some of the cracks in this house near the floorboard. So we turn on the lights, which ha, doesn't help. So turn on the lights more so we can clearly see what's happening. And we, start, and we see that there's just hundreds of these little bugs coming in from the side of our house. That's where the street light was. So I'm like, yeah. So I get out the vacuum. And I am just vacuuming along this old boarded up fireplace. I'm just vacuuming up along where most of them are coming in. Sarah has a little, like, hand vac on spot duty for other places in that. She's like, oh, like, I'd run into the room, you know, vacuum up real quick and then get back. Because you can vacuum along about a 12-foot wall, and by the time you do one pass, it's repopulated. I mean, it's absolutely insane. So we spend about two to three hours just vacuuming. And I'm vacuuming there. At this point, it's like 10, 10.30 at night. Uh, at this point, we've wisened up, and, like, the lights are off. We have a small lamp on so I can see where I'm vacuuming. And I'm just laughing vacuuming in the dark because what else are you going to do? 
I'm going to be laughing or crying because we have those times in our lives where we just have to get the emotion out some way. And whether we choose to laugh or cry, neither one's right or wrong. We just have to get it out. And I was laughing at how completely absurd this whole thing seemed. Now imagine you're in a new place, in a new house. You spend three hours vacuuming up termites until the swarm has died down. And then you're supposed to go get in bed under the covers? <laughs> I think we stayed up a little bit later that night. So that's one example of how laughing can be used in our house. But let, let's get back to Scripture. So if we're back to Scripture, we're going to chapter 21 here. Sarah becomes pregnant. She has the baby. And they name the baby Isaac. Isaac literally means he laughs. Or he will laugh, depending on how you want to conjugate it. And then Sarah says, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Not at me, with me. It's important to understand Sarah's mindset. And when we hear that, we can say that's a good thing, right? Because remember, in chapter 18, sometimes we take Sarah's laughter to be bad. Did Sarah view laughter to be bad? No. She viewed it something to celebrate. God has brought me laughter. Have you ever hear anyone, have you ever heard anyone say, talking about somebody else, oh, I just hate her. She's so funny. She makes me laugh all the time and I hate that. You ever heard anyone talk that way? No. We like spending time with people who make us laugh, who help make us feel good. Who here has ever said laughter's the worst medicine? Not the worst medicine, right? Laughter's the best medicine. We have all heard that because we acknowledge that laughter at its core is good. And we have laughter throughout the story. We have Isaac named on laughter. We have chapter 17, the part we kind of slid back in there, where Abraham is laughing. And in the description of why Isaac is named, how this baby comes to be, named after laughter, gives glory to God, and it kind of puts a command of sorts on him throughout his life. Because to us, if we hear Isaac, we may just think Isaac. But to everyone here who heard Isaac, they would know that means he will laugh. It is kind of a, a parent's wish for their child to have a life with laughter. We don't really do that a whole lot anymore, do we? Do we have a child and name them Dancer? Or he will juggle? Or she will doctor? We don't really do names like that anymore. But names, especially throughout the Old Testament, are really, really important. They don't only tell us what happened and what is, but also some foreshadowing and looking ahead at what will be. While we don't do names like that, we do still use names that give us other descriptors. But it's been happening for so long, we don't really think about it anymore. Does anyone here know anyone with the last name of Smith? I'm probably, right? Or Shoemaker? Or Carpenter? Or Robert's son? Yeah, those names definitely still exist around us, and names are so important, not just here in the story, but in the way that we use them and respond and treat them today. 
We're going to keep looking at names next week. But if you want to get to the core of this entire story, right, this is really a story of how Abram and Sarai, who became Abraham and Sarah, again, the change in name to show the change in their future as they received God's promise, names are important, that their entire story is centered around one thing. It's centered around God's impossible promise. If we go back to the Abrahamic covenant, I'm not going to read the scripture again, but if you go back even further, it's the promise that Abraham would have descendants that would outnumber the stars in the sky. This impossible promise realized years later with Sarah giving birth when they were both quite old. Can you imagine being a 90-year-old mother or a 100-year-old father and having to take care of a newborn? I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But we have this impossible promise. This impossible promise from a God who makes impossible promises. What if I told you that the creator of everything, a God so vast that we can't even begin to fully comprehend no matter how hard we try, cares about you. So much as to know the number of hairs on your head. That sounds pretty impossible. Doesn't it? What if I told you that the most powerful and immense being in the universe witnessed their son suffer and suffer such grief that the world went dark in order to show you how great the love for you is? That sounds pretty impossible. Doesn't it? The thing is, we worship the God of impossible promises. Matthew 19, 26 is when Jesus tells us that God makes all things possible. Our Lord knows you, loves you, laughs with you, and cries with you. Our Creator upholds every promise made, every last one, especially the impossible. Possible ones. And in Christ, we have the ultimate impossible promise. The promise that death is not the end. The promise that love and grace will reign supreme. The promise that we are all children of God. The promise that we are all called to join around the table and to gather at the font. The promise that we are joined together by Christ into one big family. With the promise of that family being an eternal family in an eternal home. And let us not forget the promise of laughter. Both in this life and the next. Amen? Amen. Amen.